Chapter 6, that's where we're going to start out today. We have been in a series called Mature, and the series essentially is this. We want to grow in our faith. We don't want to get stuck in a, in a season of spiritual adolescence. We compare it a lot to having kids that grow and mature, and we like it when they grow and mature. We, as parents, we raise them up, and it's more than just wanting them to feel comfortable and safe. It's all, those are all good things. We want them to be prepared to be grown-ups and adults and mature. And so that's what we're talking about spiritually, spiritual maturity. And today we are talking about one specific thing. And I've noticed, um, actually, one thing I noticed when I was reading through the Gospels a little bit this week um, as I've been reading the teachings of Jesus, I've noticed more and more that there's not really any group that Jesus lets off the hook, right? There's not a group where Jesus says, oh, you're fine, or oh, you religious people, you're fine. He challenges everybody, right? As if you are around and Jesus, he encourages, when he encounters sinners, he encourages sinners to sin no more. He encourages his disciples over and over to lay aside preconceived ideas of what religion means. He encourages his disciples and is constantly teaching them to humble themselves, to lay down their lives. He frustrates the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the religious uppity people who have all the rules covered. He frustrates them because he's always challenging their entrenched self-righteousness that they feel. Every group Jesus encounters, he's loving, he's welcoming, but he challenges them. He never lets anybody off the hook. We tend to, and if you read the Gospels, what we do as humans is we like to find the people that Jesus challenges that we also would disagree with, right? So if, you're, if you don't like religious uppity people, when he challenges the Pharisees, you're like, yeah, go get them, Jesus. Or if he's challenging someone caught in a lifestyle of sin and he's saying, hey, go and sin no more, and we're like one of the religious people, we're like, yeah, tell those sinners not to sin anymore. We love it when he's challenging people with whom we disagree. We don't like to do it when it's us. But when Jesus comes on the scene, in reality, all of us are challenged or should be challenged. All of us are challenged by the teachings of Scripture to grow, to be more like him. So if you're looking for the gospel or the Bible to affirm you and say, hey, you're awesome, that group that you're in, you're awesome. Or if you're looking for the Bible to provide ammo so that you can point out the flaws in others, well, then you're looking in the wrong place because first and foremost, the teachings of Jesus are they challenge us. Jesus doesn't come to anybody without a challenge to grow and to become more like him because the gospel is about this message that we all fall short of God's standard of holiness and righteousness. None of us achieve that. And Jesus paid the price for us so that we could be seen as righteous. And so because of that, we grow. We are stretched. We are challenged. And when we do that, I was thinking of this this week, I was having a talk with the colonel, and he mentioned this too, about how when we grow as people, whether it's kids actually physically growing or us just growing in our spiritual maturity, there's growing pains involved. Have you ever, you know, maybe some of you teenagers in here, some days you wake up and you're like, oh, everything hurts, and your parents would say, oh, I think it's just growing pains, right? As adults, we wake up and we say, everything hurts. I'm not sure what that is anymore. I think it's just 40s. You've achieved midlife and everything starts to hurt. There's growing pains involved when we are stretched, when we grow, right? Have you experienced that in your faith or just in maturing? There's growing pains where you're like, oh, why do I keep struggling over this? Or, oh, everything feels uncomfortable. That's a season of growth. And too often what we like to do as followers of Jesus, we say, you know what, that pain, is, it's just too difficult. I'm just going to settle here. I'm tired of trying to grow here I'm glad we never did that as humans, right? As humans, when we're physically growing, like, ah, body's just tired of being stretched. Let's just stop right here. But we do that in our spiritual lives. 
because we don't want the pain that is associated with growing pains. And so we stop growing and we substitute spiritual growth for other things. And so often what we do in religious circles is instead of growing in our own spiritual lives, in order to make it feel like we're still growing, we just point out flaws in other people. Have you ever seen people do that? Like it becomes, oh, you're not doing that right. Oh, Christians should never do that. Because then it helps us feel like, oh, but I am doing it right. So that's why we love to do that, because we've stopped growing spiritually ourselves. It gives us the illusion of spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. But really, it's immaturity. So in Luke 6, we're going to start here today. We've got a few passages of Scripture that we're going to read through. And one specific um, topic we're going to talk about in regards to spiritual maturity. But in Luke chapter 6, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, the religious people. And the Pharisees are all about being seen as righteous on the outside. They've got everything. Jesus compares them to like a vessel that is all polished and clean on the outside, but inside is just rotten. This is what the Pharisees are like. They have forsaken change on the inside and have settled for pointing out flaws in other people. And so if you read the whole chapter of Luke chapter 6, it starts out with um, a conflict that Jesus has with the Pharisees. And the conflict stems from this. There was a man that Jesus found who had a deformed hand, a shriveled hand, and Jesus healed him. It's a great moment. Jesus brings healing, changes this young man's life. But the Pharisees are upset because Jesus did it on the Sabbath. So how backwards is that? The religious people are like, you can't heal that person and change their life for the better because you're violating one of these rules. Don't work on the Sabbath. And so this is the start of the conflict, and Jesus starts talking to them like, you're forgetting the greater good. You're forgetting the greater good. You're so worked up in preserving these rules that you're forgetting about what it means is to raise people up, to bring healing and light and life to these people. And that's the start of the conflict in Luke chapter 6. And so Jesus begins to teach as a result of this conflict with the Pharisees. And really, if you read the whole chapter, the, the teaching kind of revolves around one theme of don't be so worried about what's on the outside. Don't be so worried about how you are seen or the standards that this world puts on you of what is successful or not. But focus on the inside. And so you can see how all these passages kind of fit that theme. He starts talking about, well, he does the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek. And then he goes into love your enemies, turn the other cheek. And then he goes into don't cast judgment on other people. This is all stuff leading up to what we're going to read today in Luke chapter 6. Don't cast judgment on others. All of these things. Focus on growing yourself. Don't worry about the speck of sawdust in somebody else's eye, but rather the plank in your own eye. This is what Jesus is talking about. So you kind of see how that theme all revolves around this. Worry about yourself. Worry about growing. Worry about becoming spiritually mature. And then Jesus says this in Luke chapter 6, verse 43 through 45. And here's where we're going to start today. Luke 6, 43 says this. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. Don't know what a briar is, but apparently it doesn't produce grapes. People don't pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. And then here's where we're going to kind of anchor today's teaching. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The words that you say are an overflow of what's already going on in your heart. If you have evil in your heart, it's going to come out. 
like a bad, like a rotten tree is not going to produce good fruit. If you've got evil and darkness in your heart, it's going to come out in the words you speak eventually. We live in a world where we try to mask what's really going on in ourselves by all sorts of clever talk and all sorts of things that sound good, and we call that election season and debates on television. This is, but it, we do it too, right? How many people spend so much time trying to say things that make things seem good on the outside? And what he's saying here, and another translation would say, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What your mouth says is an overflow of what is going on in your heart. Health on the inside comes out. Unhealthy on the inside or spiritually immature on the inside, it comes out. And so how do we know what's on the inside? And here's the good news or the bad news today. By the words that you speak. Very practical teaching here. It's very practical. The actual words that you say, the things that you proclaim with your mouth, with your lips, this is an indicator of the state of your heart. Now, Jesus taught this thousands of years ago. So in the modern day translation, we should also add, out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks and you send text messages and emails and you post online and all the things that we do to interact with our world. Think about those things. How do you text how do you post? It's been interesting, you know, over the last few years, experts on this will say there's just a, there's a, um, a confidence people have online to just be way more mean and divisive and tear people down because they don't associate it with an actual person. It's just, well, this is just words on a screen. But the, the vitriol and the negativity we have, it sure seems to be ramped up in our culture today, right? This is how you see the state of your heart by the words that you say. And instead of spending so much time saying words that make it sound good or look good on the exterior, what if we all, we would be way better to spend time focusing on just becoming healthy and mature people on the inside, right? What if we spent less time worrying about words that make us sound good and more time just focusing on actually having the light of Jesus Christ in us and change us, the mercy that we've received, the glory of God, the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit in us, all of that is causing so much good on the inside, then it just can't help but spill over. And the words that we say are life-giving, glorifying to God, unifying, edifying. Man, if we did that, if just the Christians would do that, Right? If just the Christians would stop worrying about saying all the things that are trying to divide or pointing out all the ways that people are wrong, if just the Christians focused on the life of Jesus filling us up so much that it just spills out in the words we speak, how much would that change the world? Right? How much would that change our culture if just the Christians did this? And hot tip, that's what the Christians are supposed to be doing, right? That's what we should all be doing. So today's message is this, one simple question. How's your mouth, <laughs> right? How's your mouth? You kiss your mama with that mouth? You know, how's your mouth? Going to wash your mouth out with soap, as I used to have to have happen to me as a young boy. What is your mouth revealing about the inner health and maturity of your heart? Because the mouth, the words that you speak, is the overflow of your heart. This is what Jesus teaching us. Is it thanksgiving? Is it gratitude? Is it honoring others? Is it blessing? Is it edifying and building up? Or is it vanity and tearing down? Is it profane and complaining and self-centered? Think about the words that you've spoken or texted or posted this week with coworkers or with your kids or with your spouse. Sometimes our spouse and our kids, because they are the most comfortable or we are the most comfortable with them, they get the real deal words, right? Sometimes that can happen. What have the words been to your spouse or your kids this week or coworkers? 
or even strangers. Just the level of tension, as I mentioned in our culture today, just people's interactions with strangers. Christy had an interaction with a stranger at the, at the farmer's market the other day where she was like, all of a sudden this lady was just super nasty and short with the workers, and it just seems to be everywhere you go. I was at the DMV again with my kids. It's 2020 has been the summer of COVID and the DMV for me with my kids for licenses and permits. And just being around there, I was like, wow, it's just the level of tension and negativity that people are saying and expressing. And thankfully, this time at the DMV, I, I held that in check. The overflow of the heart of your disdain for the DMV eventually comes out. How are your words this week? Your words have immense power over other people. Your words have power over other people. I can still remember harsh words that were spoken to me when I was a little tyke by coaches and teachers and or as I've been working at different churches by pastors or other people in the church. Those things can sting, right? Those things, our words have power over people. What we speak has power over people. If you want to turn in your Bible to James chapter 3. James chapter 3 is one of the best-known passages of Scripture talking about the tongue, talking about our words, talking about what we say and speak. James chapter 3 in verse 8 says this, But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Earlier on in James chapter 3, it says, You unleash the fires of hell when you open your mouth. I'm like, that's a dark (laughs) analogy, right? No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or grapevine bear figs? Again, this is the analogy of Real fruit comes from healthy trees. Your, your fruit will show what kind of a person you are. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt produce fresh water. A salt spring produce fresh water. This is talking about the words that we say. So how's your mouth? Spiritual maturity, growing in spiritual maturity means learning to tame the tongue, learning to control the words that you speak, focusing on the inner spiritual health and having that control the words that we speak. Ephesians 4.29 says this. Ephesians 4.29 says this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. I highlighted a couple of the words there. Building others up according to their needs. Only let words come out of your mouth that build others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. According to their needs. How often when we're going to spout off something, are we really thinking, what should I say that would benefit them according to their needs? Right? How often does that, how often do we take the time and say, I'm speaking to this person, how can I build them up according to what they need? How often do we consider that? Typically, when we talk, we're just thinking about ourselves. Our our words are like little selfish factories in us, right? But how often should we consider other people? Ephesians, the Apostle Paul says, this is what the point of words is, to build one another up. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. That word unwholesome means worthless, or it's from the Greek word. Again, the New Testament was originally written in Greek. The Greek word sapros 
means unwholesome or worthless. And that word, that Greek word, is used to describe also food that is bad, food that has spoiled, or food that is not nourishing or not good for you. So in other words, what my son eats every day is like, well, that's food, it's fine, but what, you know, ramen noodles, what, what good is that doing for your body, right? I'll have this conversation and he'll be annoyed with me. But that Greek word sapros, talking about food that is either useless or not nourishing, or is spoiled and rotten and rancid, right? This is the unwholesome word, talking about the words that come out of our mouth. Don't let any spoiled, rancid, sour words come out of your mouth. Comparing it to food, I was thinking about that. Food that's going to make you sick, food that is going to be rancid and smells terrible. In the Kerr family, we have a different standard for when certain foods are bad, okay? I'll make something and I'll put some cheese on it, and Christy will come in and be like, that cheese smells bad. And I'll smell it and I'll be like, it smells like cheese. I think that's what cheese is supposed to smell like. And no, there's a difference there. The standards for when cheese is bad is different in our house. And so apparently I'll make a meal and no one else will eat it because the cheese is bad. And I'm like, well, that's how cheese, cheese, does cheese ever really smell good? You know, that's what I think. Or bacon, right? There's a, that middle ground where you smell the bacon and you're like, mmm, I think it's still good. Are you like me? I'll, I'll give bacon the benefit of the doubt anytime, right? I'll fry it up. I'll put the French toast in there. That's good. But the other kids will come in and be like, oh, that bacon smells bad, right? Do you have those disagreements when something is good? Just cut the moldy part off. Take the mold out of the bread and then eat the rest of it, right? This hot dog bun has got that white powdery stuff. You just cut that off. The rest of it's... So <laughs> this is the word. The words that you speak can be like, like bacon that's really gone bad, right? You don't want to <laughs> take any part of that. Like food, the words we speak, don't let any unwholesome words, don't let any f- words that have spoiled and gone rotten, that smell bad. There was a, we had a smell in our basement a month ago, and I was going to blame our teenage son, but he had already moved to college, so I can't blame him. So, and the, peop- and the people, the kids would go down there and be like, it, s- it stinks in the basement. And I go, yeah, it smells bad. And we're looking around, we're like, is there wet carpet? Is there something? And then in the furnace room, there was a, a cup that had like a half remaining latte in there. And I think it had been there for about maybe five months. So it was, a, it was unwholesome. And I left it there. I left it there when I was replacing the water heater, which was a while ago. And that's just a moment for me to talk about how cool I am replacing the water heater. Um, so yeah, there was no debate about that. That latte had gone bad and the whole place smelled and you couldn't even go in the basement because it was terrible. This is the words that we speak sometimes. This is the words that we speak that everyone, you don't see it in reality, but people feel it in their heart. That spoiled, it just, it's rotten, it smells bad. It's rancid, it's filthy. Some words are just empty or useless. They're not nourishing. They're not building people up. These are the things that the Apostle Paul says. Spiritual maturity comes when we use our words to build people up. We don't let any unwholesome words come out of our mouth. This is a challenge for all of us, right? This is a very practical challenge of watch what you say. Apply spiritual mature standards. Apply the teachings of Scripture. Words that you say to yourself and to other people. Are they nourishing? Are they life-building? The point is to build up. The point is to build up and not tear down. To nourish and to strengthen, not just be empty, harsh words. Stop trying to point out flaws 
in other people. Now, a lot of times we have this thing, Christians do this thing, and it's in, um, it was in Ephesians earlier on. Speak the truth to one another in love. So what happens is a lot of Christians take that word and they say, well, I can tell people all the things they're doing wrong because I'm just speaking the truth in love. You know, a lot of people will say, well, love one another enough to tell them the truth, which is, sounds great. But a lot of times what that is, and this is a little insight into how Christians work sometimes, is we're going to say that so it gives us a license to be tearing people down to point out their flaws, because I'm just speaking the truth in love. Well, no, you're not. And here's the point. What I see in Scripture is, yeah, we'll tell people the truth, but we do it in a way that builds them up, builds them up. We focus on building the good and not pointing out the flaws. We focus on building up the spiritual life that we have in Christ and not pointing out all the ways that people are falling short. Another analogy is, Weeds in your lawn. You know the best way, so I've been told, I'm not successful at this, the best way to have no weeds in your lawn is to have a really healthy lawn. Just to have grass that's growing, because then there's no room for the weeds to grow. But if we spend all our time just focusing on pulling weeds, which I do, the weeds just keep popping up because there's not health around it. There's not health around it. We focus on building the good in others more than pointing out the flaws in others. This is what I get from reading these Gospels and these epistles in the New Testament. And I want to say this, we're talking a lot about how we talk to other people, but this also applies in how we speak to ourselves. Because often, the meanest, harshest, most tearing down things that we say are to ourselves, right? We've been there, oh, you're just so down on yourself, condemning yourself, being harsh with yourself, not speaking life to yourself. The words we speak have immense power over other people, and they have immense power over us. The words that we say about ourselves have immense power. If you say something enough times, you're going to start to believe it. This is proven science. If you say something enough times, your brain is going to rewire itself to start thinking that way, right? Have you experienced that? What we speak over ourselves has immense power over what we think. Earlier on in James, when we were talking about the tongue being restless, evil, the opening the fires of hell... James also mentions what we say corrupts the whole self. The tongue has a power to corrupt your whole self, to set your whole life on a different course just by the words that we say. I want to encourage you. What are you speaking over your own life? Are you down on yourself? Are you down? Are you negative on yourself? Oh, I'm never going to get that right. No one's ever going to love me. I'm never going to fix that. I'm terrible at this. I'm terrible at this. I talk to my kids often because there's times where they'll be like, certain kids more than others will be like, ah, I'm just no good or this isn't. And I want to teach them at a young age, speak life. Doesn't mean you're ignoring all the ways that you need to grow, but speak life. Speak who you are in Jesus Christ. Speak the, the potential that you have, the ways that you're growing, all the things, that, the ways that you're growing towards Christ-likeness doesn't mean that we're perfect, but we're going to speak life. We're going to build up the good. So what are you speaking over your life? What are you speaking over your circumstances right now? What are you speaking over 2020 right now? Right? We certainly see this a lot. Philippians 4 verse 8 says this. I love this verse. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Words and our brain are connected. Proclaim these things. Talk about these things. Things that are pure and lovely and admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, whatever is good and true and noble. 
What are you proclaiming? What is your focus? 2020 has been a dumpster fire for a lot of reasons, right? But I think probably the, one of the biggest reasons that everyone feels so down and negative about 2020 is because that's all we talk about, right? That's all we talk about, election and virus and, and, uh, and all the other negative things going on. It's just people just talk about it. I would like to encourage us in the room and those watching online, let's talk about some of the good things that are going on. There's good things, right? I was enjoying this last week. The weather was the perfect weather week like today is. Being outside, enjoying family and friends. There is good. There is room. There is reason to give praise and thanks in 2020. I think we need to be more vocal about that because we've just gotten into this bad habit of just talking about everything's terrible. There is much room to be joyful. So proclaim it. I think that's one of the reasons everyone's so miserable is because we just keep talking like miserable people. Is your mouth filled with thanks and praise? Is your mouth filled with the things that are pure and joyful and lovely. There's a verse in the Old Testament talking about this same thing in 1 Chronicles 16, verse 23 and 24. It'll be up on the screen. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among the people. Keep that word up, the verse up there just for a minute. Look at those words. How vocal are this, is this verse, right? How vocal. This is, well, this isn't like, well, I just like to think good things about Jesus. I like to just be positive on the inside. This is a use-your-mouth situation. Sing to the Lord. You can't sing to the Lord with your mouth closed. You can't proclaim his salvation with your mouth closed. You can't declare his glory silently. These are all vocal, verbal things. Proclaim his marvelous deeds among the people. Look at how verbal that is. Look at how much that talks about using your mouth. Now, when we do that, if we have mouths that are filled with the glory of God, things that are praiseworthy, how good God has been, all the ways that he has been blessing us. When we say those things or sing those things, like actually use our mouths, who does that benefit? I mean, God receives it and God receives our praise and the Bible talks about it. It's like a sweet fragrance to him. But God isn't hard of hearing. He doesn't need you to speak it out louder so that he can hear it. He's not super insecure where he's saying, keep talking about me, everybody, because I'm feeling down about myself and I need you to build me up. No, this is God. Who benefits when we proclaim these things? We do. The people around us do because we are saying it. We are using our mouths to proclaim it. Does that make sense? Other people are hearing it. This is beneficial to us. So when we memorize Scripture that we keep talking about and we're going to do it again and we're going to keep memorizing Scripture, it's because we can, during the week, use our mouths to recite that Scripture so that we can use our lips and proclaim the truths of that Scripture. When we sing in church, as we were doing this morning, we're singing Raise a Hallelujah. We're gonna, I'm going sing, to sing a little louder. I mean, there's a, there's a real practical thing there of, come on, everybody, I know it's Sunday morning, but maybe we could sing a little louder, right? Maybe we could use our mouths to proclaim who God is. Sing songs of praise. Use your words. When, when our kids were little, Charlie would not like to talk. And I think that was because he had three sisters who would just talk for him all the time. And so there would be times where Charlie was just kind of hemming and hawing, and we'd say to him, use your words. You know, learn how to use your words. Um, we need to use our words. It's great to have attitudes of praise in our heart. But there's something powerful that comes when we use our words, when we lift our voices, when we sing it out. Speak it out. Worship leaders are always going to be encouraging you to do that. Sing it out. And I know some of you don't like singing, and the worst thing you can do is to come into a room full of people and put on a mask and try to sing it. I get it. 
I get it. But I'm going to encourage you, use your words. You don't have to be a good singer, right? You don't have to be a good singer. Sing something. Use your words, all right? Amen? Use your words. Pray out loud. Here's another practical way we can do this. We're going to memorize Scripture and recite it. We're going to sing worship songs out loud. I want us to grow in a way that we can pray out loud. Pray out loud. Some of us are so scared to pray out loud, and I think mostly it's because, well, I don't know what to say, or I might run out of things, or I might say something weird, or people are going to wonder why is he saying that. Or I want you to just be willing to pray out loud. In a, in a room, when we have pre-service prayer, if you're down there, I want you to be able to just pray out loud. And it can be something super simple. Jesus, thank you for all your blessings. Jesus, thank you for your mercy. I love you, and I want to live for you. Just think about some of these things. There's a very practical element of just praying out loud. It's not, you're not waiting for, like, the heavens to open and, ah, and you get these words and you speak in, like, old King James English. There's, think about things that you would like to say when you pray, and then pray it. I want us all, teenagers, youngsters, oldsters, I want us to pray out loud. Learn how to pray out loud. Have thankful hearts. Talk about things that are blessings. Focus on God's blessings. Have thankfulness that comes out. Talk about the good. Talk about the reasons for joy. Man, we can pray about the bad stuff too, but when we pray about the bad stuff, Scripture teaches us, pray about it and then recognize God's got it. And we can then go on living joyfully because we've prayed about all the things that we're worried about and God's got it. And we're going to keep praying, but we don't carry it. We can profess joy even in the midst of bad circumstances because we've prayed about it. God's got it. And now we can use our words to increase joy and life. We can see that life and peace that's in us just be the overflow of our heart in our words that we say. Does that make sense? So speak out Scripture. Proclaim what God has done. Sing songs of praise. Pray out loud. These are all things that we need to grow in. Spiritual maturity is how are you using your mouth? Is it building up others? Is it building up yourself? Is it glorifying to God? That really sums it up. There's a slide I think I put in there. Build others up. Speak life to yourself. Proclaim God's goodness. Build up others. Speak life to yourself. Proclaim God's goodness. If we just focused on using our mouths for those things, if we just did that, Build up others? How can I build them up? How can I encourage them? How can I speak life to them? How can I speak life over myself? How can I memorize scriptures and then using my words to proclaim God's faithfulness over my life? And how can I proclaim God's goodness in the world around me? There's reason for joy. God is powerful and merciful. We are here singing songs of joy today because life with Jesus is good. He has blessed us. He is faithful to us. So here's what I want to do. As we close, now this is going to be something that's going to be weird, and some of you are going to use this as a reason to never come back to this church. And even watching online, you can still do this, okay? Here's what I want us to do, and we're going to practice this using our words thing, and we're going to do something that's very common first, okay? So in a moment, what I'm going to ask you to do is turn to someone next to you and introduce yourself. Hello, my name is, and I live in this city, okay? So we're going to do that, so think about that, and we're just going to say that so that the other person can hear it, and we're going to introduce ourselves to the other person. So I know some of you are socially distanced, and I'm not sure where you're going to look. You can, there's someone behind you, <laughs> in case you were thinking you were on an island out there all by yourself. Okay, so we're going to turn around, and we're going to introduce ourselves to somebody, okay? Ready, set, go.
online or are you doing this at home? Find someone in your house. And, okay, that's good, that's good. We didn't mean this to go on all, all day. It was a very, see, now you're all too wordy. Everyone stop talking. No, that's not what I mean at all. Okay, so we did that. Did you notice the volume in the room? Did you notice the volume in the room? It wasn't like loud and obnoxious. It, it was just conversational. It didn't feel weird. Everyone was talking, okay? So now what we're going to do, oh boy. Now what we're going to do is we're going to do the same thing, only this time we're going to proclaim something about God's goodness. Okay, so think about it for a minute, and it could be what I just said. Jesus, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your unfailing love. Jesus, I thank you for your faithfulness today. Okay, and we are going to say it with the same level of volume that we just did introducing ourselves, okay? Because it was fine to talk about introducing ourselves. So now we're going to do the same thing, only we're going to proclaim the goodness of God, and we're going to take like, even if you only got one sentence, just say the one sentence, and then you can stop. But I want us to all say one sentence out loud. Again, some of you hate me right now, but this is all good, right? This is fine, okay? Hey, we're going to do that. Proclaim the goodness of God. Just say something out loud, and here we go. Ready, set, go. God, thank you for your faithfulness and your mercy in every circumstance. Amen. That was awesome. Wow. Whoo! This is revival is what's happening here, okay? So I want us to grow in our ability to... Be vocal in our thanks and our praise. Okay, as a church, this is going to be a sign of a spiritually mature church that isn't just standing and spectating during worship. I get it. You don't like to sing, but that's fine. If you're not a good singer, we won't give you a microphone, but we want you to sing. I want us to grow in using our words out loud to sing songs, to recite scripture, to proclaim God's goodness, to pray out loud. Can we do that? Can we do that? That was not super hard. Okay, so now what I'm going to do is hand the mic to each of you. And No, I'm not going to do that. Here's, here's something, though, as I was thinking about this morning. We got people watching online. Hi, watching online. Watching online is great, but this is one way that watching online is seriously deficient for coming and being in a group of people. If you're watching online, I watched online when we had online church. It's hard to sing. I'm not going to sing, especially if it's me and Christy leading worship. I'm not going to sing along. It's weird. I'm sitting in my pajamas in my living room watching. On watching online hinders the proclaiming using your voice, letting other people hear your voice. So if you're online, that's great, but that's not a substitute for being in the room where we can hear other people sing. The biggest power that we have when we sing out loud is because there's something that builds our faith when we hear the rest of the room singing. There's something that comes inside of us that says, we're not on our own. I'm in this together. We're in this with other people. That's right. I'm hearing the praises that other people are singing out, and it reminds me. I'm hearing the scriptures that other people are reading. It reminds me. When we pray out loud, it stirs my heart. There is more power when we do this together. So online is great, but online is not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to gather together. So we'll wait for you sometime. You don't have to come now, maybe next Sunday. I get it. COVID is weird, but online, this is not a a spectator thing. An online church can so easily become a spectator thing. That's my soapbox for today. I want us to grow in this. Think about how you're using your words. How's your mouth? What are you saying to other people? Are you building others up? Are you speaking life to yourself? And are you proclaiming the goodness of God? So let's do that. Let's close in prayer today. Thanks, Lord, for this day. We want to grow in our maturity. We want to grow closer to you. And this area is so significant, and it just seems so practical. How do we speak to others? How do we speak of ourselves? Is it tearing down? Is it all about selfishness? Is it a way that unhealthiness in our heart is just spilling out into other people? We want to grow in you so that our words would be just an overflow of life and joy 
and blessing and the goodness of God. So help us do that this week. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. I think everyone even said it. Amen. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for joining us online, everybody. We will see you next Sunday. God bless.